0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Hilary Linder, who is director of Indivisible. Today we will discuss the film. Hilary combines her knowledge in the fields of international development and humanitarian relief with her passion for nonfiction storytelling as the director and producer of Indivisible. She is the founder and president of Kudzu Films, a production company dedicated to spreading social justice through film. Hillary monitored humanitarian emergencies for USAID's Office of U.S. Foreign Disaster Assistance and served as a programs manager at the Clinton-Bush Haiti Fund, where she managed projects aimed at promoting job growth and smart, sustainable economic development. Hillary also has established education scholarships for children in Zimbabwe and Tanzania and conducted independent HIV-AIDS research in Rwanda. Indivisible follows three undocumented immigrants as they fight for a pathway to
1: citizenship
0: and a chance to reunite with family members. Hillary, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm honored to be here.
0: This is a topic that is resonating so much for so many people at the national level and, of course, that is very emotional. What inspired you to work on this project?
1: I, uh, my background, as you were saying, is in humanitarian crisis response, which doesn't automatically lead to a career in filmmaking but my jobs were very um, report-based. My jobs were to write reports on humanitarian crises to help inform the US's response overseas. Um, And with any report, you're always trying to find some sort of storytelling hook to get the reader to keep reading and hopefully assess the situation and decide what sort of aid or support to send. So storytelling has always been a part of my life and always been a part of my career. And there were many times when I was writing reports, and I was working on the crisis in Syria right when it began, in Yemen and Iraq, and I just would think, wow, if I could only show what was happening on the ground, you know, using video or photos, it might be more effective at bringing about change than any report I could write. Because sometimes, you know, the images really do drive home how desperate a situation is or how hard something is. Um, but of course, that wasn't my job at USAID. Uh, and so I kept writing reports, but it was always in the back of my head that I, I wanted to show a crisis one day. And in 2013, I heard that Congress was thinking about introducing comprehensive immigration reform. And I because I worked on migration issues overseas, I worked on refugee crises, I've always paid close attention to immigration in the United States. And I knew we had an immigration crisis right here. So when Congress decided to introduce this comprehensive immigration reform bill, I was paying close attention and I got a little frustrated listening to the media talk about this bill because they were talking about undocumented immigrants as numbers and statistics and they were leaving out the human stories. And there are 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States today. And I just don't think that, you know, they can be boiled down to numbers and statistics. We've got to remember these are real people that have created lives in the United States. They contribute to their communities. They contribute to the economy. Um, and I just felt like their stories were getting lost. And I decided, okay, maybe this is a crisis I can actually show. So in February of 2013, I was um, working in Washington, D.C. I started reaching out to everyone I could find who was writing about immigration, undocumented immigrants, working with dreamers. And little by little, I was introduced to the two young women in the film, Hanata and Evelyn, over Skype. And this was my first this is my first film. And I can clearly remember Dialing their names on Skype and being so nervous because I was going to ask if I could follow them around for the foreseeable future as they were advocating for this comprehensive immigration reform bill And they were so kind to say you know what we're actually coming to DC next week Please come and meet us Um, we can start filming and we'll see how it goes and the rest is kind of history we hit it off Uh, We're able to foster some really close friendships and relationships and I filmed them for about two and a half years in the creating of indivisible
0: two and a half years you followed them around
1: i did i did and then we um you know with documentaries you never know where the story is going to go so we started filming in april of 2013 and i truly thought i was going to be filming history so the, the three in the film are undocumented um they're often referred to as dreamers they came to the united states as young children um, their parents brought them here looking for a better life for them um for educational opportunities, for work opportunities, for safety. And they grew up in the United States, you know, as Americans in every sense of the word other than that piece of paper (laughs) that makes it official. Um, And so when I met them, they were, um, Evelyn and Hanata were in their uh, early 20s. Antonio was still a teenager. And they were coming to Washington, D.C. to advocate for a comprehensive immigration reform bill That would have provided a pathway to citizenship for all 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States, among other things. The bill did border security enforcement, you know, overhauled every part of our immigration system. But this was the part I was really focused on somehow providing a way for the people who had established lives in the United States to stay. Um, And so, again, I I thought I was going to be recording history. I thought there was a real sense in Washington, D.C., that this bill could pass both houses, the the Senate and the House. Unfortunately, you know it it was introduced in the Senate by the Gang of Eight, um, four Republican senators, four Democratic senators, um, and it got it was passed in the House a few months or in the Senate a few months later, and then was passed to the House of Representatives, where Speaker John Boehner was in control at the time, and it was never brought for a vote. So about five months into filming. We suddenly saw this comprehensive immigration reform bill that we all had such hope for was essentially going to die in the House of Representatives. And as a filmmaker, you're thinking, oh, goodness, that's not the story at all that I thought I was starting out to tell. And now who knows where the story is going to go. But what happened was really incredible. Antonio, Hanata and Evelyn knew that they weren't going to be able to. Um, the bill wasn't going to pass, so that wasn't going to provide them with a pathway to citizenship or for a chance to see their mothers again who were deported, but they um, had thought they were trying to find other ways to reunite with their family members. And this brings us to a really important um, issue that's happening right now with DACA. DACA is a temporary status, a program that President Obama introduced in 2012, so it's been in um, effect for five years. Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals is, um, again, a temporary status that undocumented youth can apply for. It provides them with a work permit, uh, relief from deportations, and also a Social Security number so they can pay taxes. Um, and it's an amazing program. About 800,000 undocumented youth are um, covered by DACA today. And it's, it's changed lives. It has provided them, for the first time in their lives, they can legally work. Um, That's life-changing. They are suddenly buying cars and buying houses and becoming financially self-sufficient. Along with all of that, they're also paying taxes, which is a great benefit for the economy. And um, unfortunately, President Trump campaigned that he would end DACA. Um, It was an executive order. He could certainly end it at any time. Um, But he was inaugurated. The first few months of an office came and went. He didn't end DACA. And recently some very um, confusing comments have come out of the administration, some saying DACA is safe, some saying DACA isn't safe. There are now um, nine state attorney generals, and the governor of Idaho are threatening to sue President Trump to end DACA. Um, so it's it's a very um, scary time for undocumented youth, especially those who are covered by DACA, because this is such a life-changing program. And if they don't have this, they can no longer work, and then suddenly they're – you know, they could be deported. Um, So it's a scary time. But because of DACA, the youth in the film were able to apply for temporary travel status to leave the United States and actually see their parents again, which is really incredible. Um, So the film ultimately took a turn to following the youth um, as they get to to return to Colombia, Brazil, and Mexico for the first time since they left, you know, 20 years previously, and to see their moms again. So it was... um, I think that's one of the most interesting parts of filmmaking, is you never quite know where a film's going to go, but you just keep following the story.
0: Do you would think that this is the kind of story that Spanish language media or Hispanic media would have embraced and that there would be many, many stories like this one all over the country? Is that the case? Is your story, your film... One of many, or are you leading the pack?
1: since um, 2013, when I was kind of, I was frustrated with mainstream media leaving out the actual stories of undocumented immigrants, there has been a big wave of other media sources, other filmmakers, other storytellers covering stories of undocumented immigrants. Um, there are certainly some other documentaries out there. I think what makes indivisible unique is. I knew going into making the film that, you know, this is a very politicized topic. Um, It's something that for some reason has become very partisan. And it divides people, divides families. It divides communities on how they think about undocumented immigrants. So I wanted to try to find some way that everyone could watch the film and relate to it. And what I decided was that it had to be a film about families. Everyone has a family in the United States. You know, family values are one of our our core uh, tenets. We we believe, you know, families belong together, and that's what makes America great. And so I thought if I started with this family, anyone anyone could watch it. Um, and it's been amazing to see. So Antonio, Hanata, and Evelyn, their mothers were deported, and so the film is about trying to see their moms again. And there is a very emotional scene where um, Evelyn and Hanata actually get to reunite with their mothers, at the um, U.S.-Mexico border fence. Hanata and Evelyn are on the U.S. side and their mothers are on the Mexico side and you see them hugging through this fence. And, you know, just about everyone who watches it, even if they don't know where they are on the issue or maybe they are not, you know, pro-immigration reform, they still feel that moment of mothers and children wanting to be together. So I think that's what makes Indivisible stand out and makes it a little special that it's really focused on on families and what deportations do to families and what we can do as a country to stop that from happening and to, to keep families together
0: you say that they met at the border so if i'm hearing the description correctly the issue is that the daca youth are able to stay in the united states under a provisional status but that they may not leave the country and return. And likewise, that their parents who were deported have no visa, no access to visas to see their children. Is that correct?
1: So the parents, that is correct with the parents. The parents were deported. They cannot come back into the United States. Um, they're not able to get visas. Uh, you know, they could cross the border, but it's so dangerous. They're not <laughs> willing to risk that. So the parents are um, have been deported out of the country. The youth who have DACA, that is correct. They they can be in the United States without being deported. Um, but DACA opened up this very unique program for them called Advanced Parole, where they could apply for the special travel documentation that would allow them for this one. You know, they could apply for one set trip um, based on either educational reasons, employment reasons, or human, humanitarian reasons to leave the United States and return which was an amazing opportunity, Um, you know, something they'd never had until they had DACA and then could apply for advanced parole. But it's, it's a very um, expensive process. You never know if you're actually going to be approved for advanced parole. So there's a lot of waiting and anxiety. And then when you finally have your advanced parole document, it states very clearly that yes, you know, we've approved you to travel, but we can still refuse your entry when you return to the United States. So it's a very, Scary process and Hanata in the film was actually one of the first undocumented youth to travel with advanced parole and she went back to Brazil and you see this in the film and We you know, we didn't know when she came back to the airport of the United States We had no idea if they'd let her back in or not because it was so early on in the program Luckily she was let back in and I think most youth that travel on this are let back in but there's always just that moment of You know there's there's no certainty so it's, um, but this reunion at the fence took place before that program was really up and running. So the only option that these families had were to reunite through the border fence. So the mothers were flown to the Mexico side. The um, dreamers went to the Arizona side. And that was their first reunion in about eight years. Why Indivisible? The title? Yes. Oh, goodness. So finding a title for a film is difficult. And for the longest time, I had no title. you know, you start to panic. You're racking your brain for a good title. And I was sitting in the House of Representatives. Um, Evelyn's sister, Pam, was testifying before a committee about what happens um, when parents are deported. And, And this is part of the film. You can see it. And Representative Gutierrez, a lot of, you know, the representatives always kind of give these opening speeches to any testimonies, and Representative Gutierrez, who is a Um, great ally to the dreamers and undocumented immigrants. In his opening statement, he said, I want for undocumented immigrant families the same thing that I want for my family. I want an indivisible family. And I just thought that was so beautiful and really captured what I was trying to show, that families should be indivisible. They should be together. And um, (laughs) it just stuck. So from that moment forward, I called it indivisible.
0: It seems to be a good match for the subject of the film. What would you say is the core message that you wanted to convey when you
1: began the film? Absolutely. My my number one goal was to humanize undocumented immigrants. I think one of the problems we have in the United States is the media uses words like illegal, illegals, illegal aliens. Um, and when you grow up hearing those words, you think, gosh, someone who's illegal must be bad. You know, it's just, it's, I think it's a, a very sad thing that has happened because, um, you know, if you don't know anything about the topic, but you've only ever heard this group of people referred to as, you know, illegal, you're going to have a, a bad, you know, bad thoughts about them. And that's just, it's terrible. Um, so I wanted to really, Humanize undocumented immigrants, get away from those bad, you know, ways to refer to undocumented immigrants and really show they're, they're human beings who left their countries for a lot of reasons. But reasons that in the United States we can't really fathom. I mean, I've never had to worry about where my next meal was gonna come from. I never had to worry about, you know, being killed by gangs. I always knew I had, you know, good schools to go to. I could go to college and I can't imagine being a mom or a dad in a, you know, another country worrying about the future of my children. So I wanted people to to start changing their mindsets, seeing the parents as really the original dreamers and heroes that had the courage to bring their children to a better life. And then to see these undocumented young adults as what they really are—they're Americans. They literally are in every sense of the word, except for the paperwork. Um, so really, just trying to reframe the issue. And whenever I screen Indivisible um, and do a Q&A after, one of the—I always set one ground rule, and I ask ask the audience to please use the phrase undocumented immigrant. So let's start, you know, right here, right after the screening, changing the way our mind works and how we think about this population of people. And it's, you know, it's a small step, um, but it really, I think it's a big step forward in humanizing undocumented immigrants and starting to reframe how we think about it.
0: You've done work in Haiti and Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Rwanda. Why do you think that this topic, so much less exotic, for lack of a better word, so close to home, why did this resonate so much with
1: you that you made your first film? That's a great question. I had worked so much on migration issues overseas. So, you know, looking at refugee crises, um, crises where uh, in countries where people were internally displaced, all, all these, you know, migration issues where people were just trying to find a safe haven, trying to find somewhere safe to go with their families for themselves, um, you know escaping terrible situations but it does it all comes down to trying to find somewhere safe somewhere better for your family and i think that's what led me as i was paying close attention to the immigration crisis in the united states that just really spoke out to me that we had all these families here in the united states that had left situations that they felt compelled to leave to find safety or to find better opportunities so there is a real parallel um you know as I said before, I felt like we really did have this immigration crisis right here in our backyard in the United States. So while it's not, you know, a country on the other side of the world, it was, um, it's still really related to the work that I was doing. And I wanted to show, again, you know, show and try to explain that these people that have come to the United States, it's not a bad thing. It's something that any of us would do for our families if we were in that situation. And that's how we need to just, think about it differently, start to change our minds, and then start to examine, I think, just the great things that undocumented immigrants do for us today in the United States. I think all of our lives are better, and if we really step back and think about it. um, So while, you know, it wasn't a documentary in some far-flung country, I think the, the themes were still there and present.
0: Tell us about the making of the movie itself. This has been a long journey. You started in February of 2013. And you followed uh, some of the participants in the project for two and a half years, you said. And now we're in July of 2017. The film is going to have its world premiere July 29th. What has that four plus several months
1: journey been like for you? (laughs) definitely the hardest but most incredible journey (laughs) that I could have imagined. So I, um, again, I had no background in filmmaking. I did feel like I knew something about the topic when I started the film, Um, but I had to learn everything about filmmaking, everything about fundraising for films, about editing films, about, you know, every step of the process, which I think is what kept it really exciting. Um, you just, I could learn something new every single day working on Indivisible and, um, it, it, I think when you don't know where the story's going and you don't know where the funding is going to come from and you don't know if you can ever actually finish the film, it's just, it's an exciting and scary time. And for me, that's what motivates me. And there were certainly times when I thought, gosh, I don't know if I can finish this film, but all I really had to do was think about Evelyn, Hanata, and Antonio and how they have much greater odds to overcome and they keep going and they keep fighting And so if they can do it, the very least I can do is finish this film about their stories. So that was the ultimate motivator to keep going. I'll say one of uh, kind of a turning point for the film as far as funding goes was Kickstarter. I did a Kickstarter campaign in November of 2013, so the same year that I started filming. And we raised over $30,000 from 261 amazing backers. And I think any filmmaker can relate to that. It's, um, you know, it's a very Kickstarter campaigns are all consuming and exhausting and, um, very nerve wracking. And we, I was just thrilled by the generosity of our backers and they really enabled me to finish filming, which was, um, incredible and it's an amazing gift. And hopefully, now that they, they can watch it on TV, they, I think a lot of people have seen it streaming, um, I, I hope that they've enjoyed the film and they've seen what they, were, what they enabled. But so the Kickstarter campaign was a big turning point. I think, that, you know, the filming, I ultimately decided to film it myself. I hired people to film a few times, but that gets really expensive very quickly. And with still a low-budget film, I wanted to maximize the money, so I bought a camera, and filmed, um, probably about 85 to 90% of the film I did, which was I learned that I actually really loved filming. I before just thought I'd be a director, um, but I learned to love sitting down with the camera and getting really close to the families. I think because it was just me, I was able to get a lot of moments that maybe I wouldn't have been able to get with the crew. For example, when I traveled to Colombia, Brazil, and Mexico with the three, um, it was just me and I got really close to the families. And that, that was really incredible too. Throughout this filming process, I feel like I've gained three amazing families along the way. And we still keep in touch some daily, some weekly with, um, Evelyn, Antonio, and Hanata. So we're all very close. And I, it, especially now with, um, what's happening. In immigration in the United States, we're constantly trying to think of ways to use the film to um, to change things. So yesterday was a pretty exciting day. Um, Senators Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin announced the Dream Act of 2017, which we've seen the Dream Act. Gosh, I think for 16 years we've seen different iterations of the Dream Act, um, but there's a new bill being introduced, and this would provide a pathway to citizenship for the undocumented youth who were brought to the United States as young children. And um, I believe that could be up to 2 million undocumented young adults could benefit from this. So now we're trying to think, okay, how can we use the film to to draw attention to the DREAM Act, to get people to call their representatives and senators to support the DREAM Act? So it's, it's, it's a scary time for undocumented immigrants in the United States. Um, Antonio, Hanata, Evelyn, and I are happy we have the film to use as a tool to, to keep fighting for immigrant rights.
0: You mentioned that the Kickstarter campaign was difficult. I, I'm not familiar with Kickstarter and process. Of course, I know what it is. I thought that you just sort of stated what you wanted to do on the website and people contributed. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what that was like.
1: Oh, yes. Kickstarter. So it would be wonderful if you just (laughs) set it up and all the money starts flowing in. But it takes around the clock work. So you do, you know, you set up your campaign, you film yourself pitching your idea. um, And that's great. The campaign starts and then you have to reach out to every single person, you know, over and over again until they're so annoyed with you. (laughs) Um, It's a very humbling experience, number one, asking for money, and number two, asking for money from people that you know. And it takes – I tried to be very diligent at at the end of every single day of the Kickstarter campaign. Anyone who gave, I wrote them, tried to write them a personal thank you email. You know, I wanted them to know how appreciative I was of any amount of money. Um, But you really – you just have to think of ways – to reach new people who might want to give. I think during the 30 days of my campaign, I think I went to like 17 networking events. So you're just out there talking about the film as much as possible. It's a great practice talking about the film and the topic, um, but it's exhausting. And you just never – in Kickstarter, it's um, all or nothing. So if you don't – my target was $30,000. If I didn't reach $30,000, I would get nothing. So you are just out there trying to reach that number for 30 straight days. It's exhausting, but it's 100% worth it to be able to pursue your dream.
0: Was that the budget for the whole film?
1: No, that's not the budget for the whole film. I financed a lot of the film myself as well. But the $30,000 went a very long way.
0: Would it be accurate to say that it was under a million dollars for the budget? Oh,
1: yes. (laughs) Far, far below.
0: (laughs) Okay. So under a million dollars with $30,000 from Kickstarter donors and four years plus of work. Did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish with
1: the film? So when I set out, my hope was that a film showing people an issue could change hearts and minds. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try to do this with a documentary film. I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I think other people can do it. I'm going to see if I can do it. Um, and we have screened at 25, <clears throat> excuse me, 25 film festivals, a ton of community screenings. And I think at this point I'm confident that the film does have the power to change hearts and minds um, based on the audience reactions. And, you know, the biggest audience reaction I get is, that they had no idea that this was going on and that, of course, they want to do something to help. Um, And I think that's the saddest part because it's just it's not something that for some reason is breaking into mainstream America's media. Um, Of course, I live and breathe immigration. So to me, it's just it's everywhere. But people just did not know that families are being separated by deportation all the time. And that all we have to do is change our immigration laws. We, that's like, we can do that. We've created them. They can be changed to prevent all of this. And so that's very heartening to hear that people, they didn't know, but now that they know they want to do something. I think all change is incremental. Um, some people who've never been exposed to any of these ideas or thoughts, you know, maybe their mind changes a little bit, um, but that's great, you know, as long as we can start people Thinking about undocumented immigrants in another way, that's, that's the first step. And I think if this election showed us anything, it's that we have a long way to go to really change people's minds about undocumented immigrants in the United States. But again, we're just so happy to have a tool that can hopefully, that that can do that. So I do think we've started to achieve what we set out to do. I think our TV premiere um, on Fuse on July 29th at 10 p.m. Eastern will really go a step further because it has the potential to reach millions of people. And we just, you know, keep hope to keep reaching as many people as possible with these stories because that's where the change starts to happen.
0: Did Renata, Evelyn, and Antonio receive compensation to participate in the project?
1: No. And that that's a challenging part for me. It's, you know, for documentary films, really you shouldn't be paying your subjects um, because, You want their honest, pure, you know, you want their story and you don't want anyone to think that somehow they've been compelled to give you a certain version or anything like that. Um, So, no, there's not. But that's also hard when, especially when you're working with people, undocumented youth, undocumented immigrants have a very hard time affording college and university because they are not eligible to apply for financial aid there are very few scholarships that they're allowed to apply to. Um, often they're charged really high tuition rates, out-of-state tuition rates or international tuition rates because they're not U.S. citizens. Um, so it's, it's been a really big challenge for me to figure out how, how to handle that, not paying your subjects but wanting, <laughs> wanting them to have the best in life. So several groups have um, screened the film and treated it as a fundraiser for, for their college um, to help pay for their college, so you, you know there there are some ways, but really, as on, you know a documentary filmmaker, you have to. It's a, a line you can't really cross.
0: Would you say that in a way you are an advocate as opposed to a journalist in the making of the film? You're not just conveying the facts, but in in your film there is a perspective there is a point of view what would you say
1: about that there's definitely a point of view I again you know the film at its core is about families and we you know I we try not to hit you over the head with <laughs> let's change things but hopefully by the end of the film you're feeling like things need to be changed um but I personally certainly am an advocate. I'll fight for immigrant rights until until we win, um, which I think will be a long battle. But even you know with this new Dream Act out, I'm excited to start calling my representatives and getting other people to call the representatives to fight for it because I do think it's the right thing to do right now. Um, but you know the film, I, I hope people don't feel like they're being you know preached to or compelled to think one certain way. I hope they just see these stories of these families and feel what they're going through, and that's what makes them want to to fight as well.
0: Some people's reaction when they hear undocumented immigrants, when they hear that these immigrants have lived in the United States in a covert fashion, they think that they're criminals, they think that their whole lives have been a lie to the system. What have you seen in relation to that?
1: Sure. And this is, you know, we often find people with this kind of opinion of undocumented immigrants. I The film, I think, really shows a big difference. The undocumented immigrants that I know and their families, they are so hardworking. It's not like they came to the United States and the red carpet was enrolled to the American Dream. They've had to work around the clock, harder than anyone I know, just to get ahead a little bit. Um, But I think they're often very, you know, they're happy to be here. They want to create lives and communities here. Um, it's hard. They often are, you know, paid less than what they should be paid, taken advantage of because they're undocumented. There are some really terrible situations. Um, but I think we I think the general public needs to reframe. Again, how they think about undocumented immigrants. They are hardworking. They came here to create better lives. That is truly what the American dream is. Um, are <laughs> I laugh um sometimes because we are we are all immigrants. I mean, I know my immigrant history. I know when my first family members came over. Um, and I think everyone would it'd be good for everyone to stop and think about when their families came to the United States, why they came, you know, what were they running from? What were they running to? And I bet it's very similar to a lot of undocumented immigrants today. They were drawn, you know, they left their countries because they wanted better opportunities. They came to the United States because they, America could provide that. So we, you know, we've forgotten our history, unfortunately. And, um, I think that it would do us all well to remember those stories, because it's very similar to what's happening today.
0: For those people who say that there is a process that immigrants should follow, and that those who are documented immigrants, rather than to use the term legal or illegal, have followed that process, and that these other immigrants who don't have their papers are getting a free ride that it's not fair for all the other people who followed the process, what would you say?
1: Sure, so what I say, and this question comes up frequently and I welcome it because I think this is very important for for people to understand. For Antonio, Hanata, and Evelyn's families and so many families across the United States, there was no line for them to get into. There are four basic ways to get a green card in the United States, and I'll run through them very quickly because I do think this is important for people to understand. Um, the first way you can apply is for employment reasons. And this means – a green card is your pathway to citizenship. I'm not sure if everyone knows that. but So the first way to get a green card is through employment reasons. That means you have to have an employer in the United States who is willing to petition for you to come and work in the United States. This typically means – If you're getting a green card for employment reasons, you have a very high degree or very advanced technical skills. Maybe you have some money that has helped gotten you there. It's for people often with advanced degrees. And for people who are unskilled workers, who you know haven't had the opportunity to maybe even graduate from high school, this is not an option. And so many undocumented immigrants come to the United States because of the education opportunities. There's no way they would have qualified for an employment green card. So that's one of the four ways to get in line, and that's not an option for so many people. The second way is through family connections. If you have a child, parent, spouse, or sibling that's a U.S. citizen, they can petition for you to get your green card and come to the United States. For Evelyn, Hinoza, and Antonio's family, they didn't have any U.S. citizen relatives in the United States. So that wasn't an option for them either. And I do want to make a note, for people who do have family connections – the wait can be up to 24 years. Um, So even if you do apply um, for a family green card, it could take decades for you to actually get it, which I just think is a little crazy. If I wanna be reunited with my family and it's gonna take 24 years, that just doesn't seem like the best way to, to handle that. So again, the family route to getting a green card wasn't available for so many undocumented families across the United States. The next way is um, for humanitarian reasons, if you can be classified as a refugee or asylum seeker. And unfortunately, you can't be classified as a refugee if you're just fleeing poverty or gangs, you know, gang violence or just regular violence. Um, being classified as a refugee is very specific and difficult, and I think, We've all been following the news. Um, we know right now the United States isn't letting many refugees or asylum seekers in. Um, for Antonio Hinata and Evelyn, again, just because they were leaving um, poverty or violence, that wouldn't have qualified them as a refugee or asylum seeker. So this third way to get in line wasn't an option for them either. The fourth way to get a green card is called the diversity lottery. Every year, the United States lotteries off 55,000 green cards. Um, millions and millions of people apply, so your chances of getting them are very low. And there are some countries that are excluded because um, there are so many immigrants already from those countries. And, of course, Mexico, Brazil, and, China, and Colombia, where the three in the film are from, are excluded. So that wasn't an option for their families either. So these families are in a terrible situation. They There's no legal way for them to get in line to come to the United States. Yet the United States is the only country they can go to for better lives. So they're left with a very difficult situa- or decision, and that's do we just take our chances and go to the United States anyway, or do we stay in our countries where there are no opportunities or we don't feel safe? And I think that's what people need to think about, that very difficult decision. What would you do if you were faced with a life that you didn't feel was good enough for your family or having to go to the United States without authorization?
0: And, of course, if you extend that to immigrants from all corners of the world, that question becomes much more complicated if people are immigrating from places where there is violence, as we are seeing in Europe with the immigrants from the Middle East and Africa that are so controversial. If you look at that bigger picture the questions are much more complicated. Have you come across that?
1: Yes, certainly. You know, especially questions um, of national security come up. And you know, one fact that I really like to point out is that immigrants are less likely to commit crimes than U.S. born, um, American born citizens. It's just a fact. And I think, you know, oftentimes I think because. People hear the word illegal so often. They think that immigrant communities are also communities where there's a lot of crime, but that's not the fact. They actually have lower crime rates. Um, and I think that's important for us to, to realize, too. And another kind of big debate right now is sanctuary cities, where cities that don't want to cooperate with immigration officials, um, because they know that communities that feel comfortable and safe reporting crimes to Police, those are safe communities. And if suddenly, if the police are cooperating with immigration officials, undocumented immigrants are going to stop reporting crimes. And this is a, you know, very bad for women or other people who are um, victims of domestic violence. If they don't feel comfortable coming forward because of their immigration status, yet they're suffering at home, you know, this creates very unsafe communities and really sad situations for people. So, while of course national security needs to be um, a priority for the united states the immigrants they are i mean a fact show that immigrants are committing crimes at a much lower rate than actual u.s citizens
0: what is the situation for dreamers like renata evelyn and antonio in terms of their own safety in the community as we're discussing, clearly they have to be fearful of coming into contact with any kind of police, any kind of enforcement is got to be something that makes them cringe. What, what was your experience in relation to that?
1: Yes, and this was you know, something I thought long and hard about with making the film. I didn't want to do anything that would make it more likely that they could be targeted for deportation. Okay. Um, Antonio, Hanata, and Evelyn, and so many other undocumented young adults are <laughs> the bravest people I know because they've come out very publicly with their stories. They've shared their names. They've shared their faces. You know, the three in the film have shared their, their lives. And to me, that's such an act of courage. Um, and they're doing it for their communities. They want to bring people out of the shadows, really show how hardworking, and important undocumented communities are to the United States, and they're willing to risk themselves a little bit. Because of DACA, this temporary status that they are covered by right now, in theory, they should not be able to be deported, you know, unless they commit a very terrible crime. Um, You know, DACA should be protecting them. That's what the program said. Unfortunately, in the last few months, we've seen some undocumented youth that have DACA be targeted for deportation. And that is especially terrifying. It's also terrifying to think that DACA could be um, canceled at any moment by President Trump. And um, we just, we really hope that doesn't happen because it's 800,000 undocumented youth who are part of this program. And that would suddenly mean that 800,000 undocumented youth could be targeted for deportation. So it's, it is scary. um, And I just think the courage that the three in the film show and so many others who are out there fighting and sharing their names and stories. It's, um, it's tremendous, and it's, you know, something that they are doing for their communities, and that's, it's really amazing to me.
0: How does that work, Hillary? Is, is there a document that they carry with them that says they have DACA protection? Is it there some sort of notation in their record or their driver's license?
1: Yes, they do have documentation that they have DACA. Um, so in theory, you know, if they were stopped by police officers, you know, they could say, I have this status. Um, <laughs> Luckily, they're not often stopped by authorities. I think that's one of the scariest parts is flying, going through airports and having to explain their status. Um, and it's, you know, often they're pulled aside for secondary inspection and more questioning. Um, but so far, they've gotten through. But there, there is proof of the status, Yes.
0: So if they are driving and they are stopped for an infraction or for not an infraction they have a document that they can show to the police officer because of course now we're seeing as you said earlier that there is there are communities that are working with federal authorities where any kind of a situation can lead to someone being detained by federal authorities, and if they don't have proof that they have a right to be here, they are immediately taken to a place from which they are to be
1: deported. Correct. And so, yes, there's a document, but this also leads to the point that in many states, undocumented immigrants can't have driver's licenses. They're not allowed to get a driver's license. DACA, this program, again, in many states have It allows undocumented youth to get driver's licenses. So that's their first line of defense. You know, if they get pulled over, they actually have a driver's license. But what if you're an undocumented parent in a state where you can't get a driver's license, but you've got to drive to work, you've got to drive your kids to school, you've got to go grocery shopping, all the things we use driver's licenses for. But because you're undocumented, you're not allowed to have one. If you get pulled over, you're in a really tough situation. And we see that in the film with Evelyn's mother, who was not in a state that where she could get a driver's license as an undocumented immigrant, yet she had three girls needed to get them to school to her work. And that's all it takes is getting pulled over once. And that, you know, that led to her deportation. So it's, It's very difficult across the United States if you do not have access to a driver's license every time you get in that car to do everything that you need to survive in this country. There's a chance that you could get pulled over and potentially deported because of that. And so I think, again, that's, you know, DACA allowed undocumented youth in many states to get driver's licenses. So that's another um, level of security for them. But there are so many people who don't even have that.
0: Is it perhaps safer is there, um, does being in a large city make it safer than being, say, in a rural area, as we saw in the film, where you have to drive, or, um, are there other factors that make an urban center less safe?
1: I think cities in general, especially if they are sanctuary cities, are safer for undocumented immigrants um, as far as being targeted and um, uh, by authorities. But that's hard. I think it depends on where you are. For example, you know, stop and frisk in mean, New York was terrible for undocumented immigrants and other um, you know minorities because they were targeted because of, of their race. There's a new bill being put, you know, SB4. In Texas, which has really um, come up again, it allows enforcement to discriminate people based on their color of their skin or their country of origin. So it, it just really depends on what's happening in your city. Um, and so, yeah, I think driving any distance without a driver's license is definitely risky. Um, and so in some cities with public transportation, you can avoid that risk, but there might be other risks depending on how your police system is cooperating with immigration authorities. So I think there's always risk, and undocumented communities try to find ways to minimize that, but oftentimes, you know, to go to work and school and get food, you have to sometimes take those risks.
0: What would you recommend for our listeners who want to gain a better understanding of these issues? Of course, in addition to watching the film, Indivisible, July 10th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Fuse television, which is on cable, right?
1: It is for some cable providers. If you go to um, the Fuse website, you can actually find out what Fuse channel you are. Um, So a lot of people will have access to this, yes.
0: For those people who want to gain a better understanding of the issues that we are discussing here, which are complicated and uh, complex, what sources of information would you recommend? Are there any websites? Are there any books or other films that you would suggest?
1: Sure, absolutely. So start by watching Indivisible. Um, start getting familiar with these issues. Um, our website, indivisiblefilm.com, we do have a take action page. So if you're compelled to do something, if you want to do something, there we post the latest petitions. We post um, advice for how to contact your representatives to um, support whatever legislation's out right now. Right now, of course, we'll be pushing for the DREAM Act of 2017. So there's a good way to take action. I would say... Um, in your life you know how I encourage all audiences to use the phrase undocumented immigrants um, rather than other phrases so just try that start using that and that's a good place to start making change and then if you want to find out about in your local community I would say Google local immigrant rights groups there are amazing groups across the country working on immigrants rights immigrant rights and your local organizations will be able to Inform you about what's going on in your community, in your town, things, specific things you could do to help. Um, I think right now, especially with the DREAM Act being introduced, there's going to be a lot more media coverage of all of this. And so that's where, you know, read the media coverage. But hopefully you've also seen Indivisible so you can, you know, think about undocumented immigrants not as numbers and statistics, but as actual humans and kind of use Antonio, Evelyn and Hanata's stories as reference when you hear things in the news, um, and and when you think about their families and what it would mean if we, you know, the Dream Act bill, it's likely that it will also include a lot of enforcement measures, and enforcement measures unfortunately means that more families, more people will be deported and more families will be separated. So it's important to to. Hold Antonio, Hanata, and Evelyn's stories close to your heart so when you hear about enforcement, you remember, okay, that's going to mean more families are being deported. Um, so just keeping all of those in mind. And I think, I think that's a good place, a good place to start.
0: Where can our audience watch the film after the 29th of July?
1: It will be available on Amazon and iTunes starting August 1st, so everyone will have very easy access to it, uh, which we're very excited about.
0: Is that in the U.S. and internationally?
1: Yes, and it will be in English at first. We hope to add Spanish and Portuguese language versions soon, but English to start.
0: Are you on social media?
1: Yes, we are on Facebook as Indivisible Film, and that's where we post the most. So you can certainly go there for updates. And, again, our website, IndivisibleFilm.com, is another great place to get updates.
0: What's next for you, Hillary, now that the film is complete and the world premiere is upon us? Are you going to continue making films? What are you planning?
1: Yes, I'm actually working on another film right now. It's an incredible story. It's called Muji Blades, and it follows Muji Kareem. He is one of the fastest bilateral amputee sprinters in our nation. Um, he lost his legs five years ago in a very terrible car accident that has <laughs> accomplished amazing things in the five years since to the point where he runs the 100-meter and 200-meter dash extraordinarily fast and competes at the national level. Um, And so we're going to see him trying to win the world championship. So it's a great story, Um, and we're in the middle of filming, so it's got a a long way to go, but that will be out hopefully in the next few years. Um, But also just focusing on using Indivisible as much as possible, to help fight for immigrant rights in the United States. Again, we have a long way to go. The election made that clear. But if we can really change hearts and minds um, as much as possible, maybe when, uh, you know, the next big immigration reform bill comes up, more people will uh, will want to support it.
0: Are there individuals, are there organizations that have come forward to support the film and the issues that the film is showcasing?
1: We have been very lucky. Um, we have had community screenings all across the country. There are universities. There are immigrant rights groups that are screening it. There are churches, synagogues, you name it, uh, community groups, libraries. It's been amazing to see the outpouring of support. So we, I feel like we have partners all across the United States, and we're continuing. If you are part of an organization um, that you think would benefit from Screening this film and watching this film and discussing it. You can go to our website to sign up to host a screening We'll send you a DVD and a screening kit and discussion guide to really help guide your your conversation afterwards um, And I think it's, it's just amazing how many how many groups across the country have screened it for their um, for their communities
0: as you say that one of the ideas that comes to my mind is libraries who do just that they have a topic that they select and they organize a moderator and a screening. Is this something that has been done
1: with your film? Yes, absolutely. Um, library, at just every kind of group across the United States, and sometimes I go to the screenings, sometimes one of the three from the film go to the screenings, and it's really, especially when we can have a robust discussion afterwards, it's really um, exciting and impactful. But, oh, yes, and it's very easy to sign up to host a screening on the website.
0: What suggestions would you share with our listeners, Hillary, who are interested in getting involved in a project such as yours, say starting an indie film, a documentary like you have done, what three to five steps or thoughts would you say that they should have before embarking on such a journey?
1: I think the first step would be to choose a subject or a topic that you're really passionate about, you're going to spend a lot of time working on it. And I feel so lucky that this, that immigration reform was the topic of my first film because it's something I feel endlessly passionate about and, um, not, you know, not only making the film, but now trying to use the film to, um, to change things in the United States. I just feel constantly motivated. And I think if it had been a topic that I didn't feel that way about, it could be difficult, but it's, um, so choose a topic that you're passionate about. <sighs> the second one is just know going in, it's going to be tough. There's no easy path to making a film. Um, and just be willing to do anything it takes to make it happen. And don't, don't give up. Um, there's always, always, a workaround, there's always a way to make it happen. It might not be clear at first, but you just have to keep thinking and keep pushing. Um, so I would say just <laughs> know it's going to be hard, but do it anyway. Gosh, third tip. Um, never stop learning. Um, I think for me, it's amazing that Internet is such a great resource for filmmakers. If I ever have a question about something technical or something about editing, you can just – Google, you know, Google your question and you can find a tutorial video or many videos in just a matter of seconds. Um, and I think that's that's been so amazing for me. I didn't go to film school, but I have a constant, a constant question. So knowing that I can just uh, use online resources to, to help start uh, teaching me different things, that's been really amazing. Um, I think a final tip is for anyone planning to do a film is from the beginning. Plan for your, whatever would be your wildest success. Plan for that. I, um, you know, this is my first film. I had no idea if anyone would ever see it. I didn't even know if I'd finish it. I hoped I would, um, and then I didn't know if anyone would see it. And then um, we've had some really uh, amazing success with the film. We were in 25 film festivals, we're going to be on TV, we're going to be streaming. And had I planned for all of this from the beginning, life would have been much easier. There are lots of, um, you know, make sure contracts are in place. When you're choosing music, make sure you're licensing music for all the different things you want to do so you don't have to keep licensing it. There are just uh, ways to plan ahead. That will save you money, save you frustration, save you time, um, and I wish I had done that from the beginning. So certainly, with my next film, you know, I'm planning, I'm hoping it will be successful, and so I'll plan that way and hopefully avoid a lot of headaches in the future. So I think have confidence in yourself and, and plan accordingly.
0: What was the biggest challenge you faced in the film making project?
1: Oh, I think on the filmmaking side. Was just, you know, learning filmmaking, making the film, editing, you know, every part of the way was a challenge for me. So I think filmmaking in general was hard. Um, the funding was particularly hard. Um, and is still hard. That, I don't want to sugarcoat that for anyone, but, you know, again, if you are dedicated, you can, you'll find a way to make it happen. Um, but I think the biggest challenge for me was the emotional side. I, I knew this was going to be a tough topic. I didn't, I guess I didn't know the emotional toll it would take on me. Um, it's, it's sad. You know, there were moments when I was crying behind the camera as I was filming. There were moments where, you know, I'd excuse myself and go to the restroom because I knew I was going to cry. It's just, these stories are tough, um, but they're important to hear. And I just, I don't know if I was fully prepared for that. And even today, you know, it's just, It's hard to see a community that I care about so deeply being, you know, demonized, criminalized, you know, being so unsure about their future. So I think, and I think anyone who does social justice films or films on topics like this will find that as well, that you will become emotionally involved and it's, it'll take a toll, but, you know, it's been a privilege to work on this topic and with these amazing people. So I would certainly do it all over again.
0: Well, that takes me to the next question, which is what was the greatest
1: reward Oh boy, the greatest reward. I think that comes after audiences have watched the film, and often we'll have people come up to us afterwards and say things like, you know, I used to want to build a bigger border wall, but now I don't want to, or, you know, something like that, something that shows that their mind has really drastically changed over the course of watching the film. And that's incredible to me. So I think the more people we can reach, you know, and even people who just had no idea this was going on and now feel, feel motivated to do something or maybe change the way they speak and think. That's where the reward comes in.
0: Thank you, Hillary, for joining us from San Francisco, California.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it.
0: And to our audience, thank you for listening to Hillary Linder, who is director and producer of Indivisible, who discussed the film.